Right, well, Piers Cunningham and Bruce Hutchins here talking about a new album that uh, is is being released. It's called Jack Chrome and the Darkness Waltz, and it features Rick Springfield and Russell Morris. So Russell's on the phone. Great to have you here. Thanks, Piers, and uh, thanks, Bruce, who's hiding in the background somewhere uh, there. I think. Yes, I'm. I'm lurking in the corner. <laughs> he's right. He always, that's where. That's where he belongs. Lurking <laughs> in a corner. Well, he's right here, and uh, he's going to participate. I was very honoured that he gave me uh, a copy of your CD and also vinyl, and I hear the vinyl sales are going very well. I just wanted to ask you firstly about how you came to focus on the, the Day of the Dead, which is that great Mexican uh, festival. It's been immortalised in various films. I mean, there's quite a good kids' film that my daughter loves called Coco. There's another one called The Book of Life. They're both animated films. So Hollywood's kind of got hold of this. I think there was even a Bond film that had an opening scene which had the Day of the Dead uh, parade going on and all this action with Bondi as well in amongst it. What got you guys interested in, and why did you focus on that festival for this album? When I lived in uh, Los Angeles, I used to... I, I was really interested in Day of the Dead. I thought it was... At first, I, I thought, oh, what's this? is creepy. Is this voodoo or something? Mm. And it really it intrigued me, and I started to look at it and to look at the wonderful festival that it is and it's all about the celebration of the 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 lost ones the people that had passed on and died mm. it's a celebration and bringing their spirits back to live with their loved ones and to be with them again and to remember them <clears throat> and i said what a lovely celebration it's such a a joyous occasion yep i love the color like the color that people have that paint their faces and all the bright, colourful outfits and all the marigolds and all that sort of stuff. And they'd have these things called offrenders, which are like altars. Mm -hmm. And they would set them up with offerings and things like that for the dead, for when they came back to make them feel welcome. And I thought, what a beautiful festival. I loved it and never thought about writing about it. I just loved it. And back here, one day, sometimes songs come out out of quantum physics. They just appear and you don't know why and you don't know why you've written particular lyrics yep they just seem to combine in an odd way <clears throat> like something something popping into existence that wasn't there before and um i was writing one day and the words just came out they just flowed which was carmelita's um dance mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh it was about it just the words just kept coming i, I wasn't consciously writing about anything until I'd written the first two verses, I think it was. So I went into the course and I realised where I was heading. Mm. I then started to make it about uh, a young woman who has a contact, uh, is almost a, like a conduit to the dead, the day of the dead people, and they live in the city. And it, she dances at the head of the procession and brings them back. <clears throat> they all follow her and all the people who are... Uh, actually alive, love her because she brings them back and they love her. And she's almost like a priestess, I guess. Mm. And that song, I wrote it and I, I, I really liked it. I thought, that's, that's a nice song. I really like that song. Still not intending to do an album about Day of the Dead. Then one day I said to my wife, I said, listen, I've got a strange idea. I'm going to do uh, a, a song. I, I want you to film it. I'm going to put myself in Day of the Dead makeup. 
Yeah. I'm going to sing the song, but I'm not going to sing it in, in the voice though. So I'm going to sing it in an, another worldly voice. I want it to be like an actor. I don't want to feel like I was part of the dead and part of the, the, the narration. So I sang it probably an octave down mm. and I got her to film it. And uh, I said, I'm going to put this up on YouTube for a laugh. And she said, what are you going to put up as uh, like Russell Morris? And I said, no, no, I'll put up as another name. And she said, what name would you put it up as? And I didn't even think. I said, Jack Crone. Hmm. Hmm. And that just came out of nowhere as well. And that stuck. <laughs> and I hadn't thought about it. I didn't, I didn't think of, of Menzies or Peter Dawkins or Peter Soblay. I didn't think. It just came straight out, Jack Crone. Hmm. So I did the video, showed it to Bruce Hutchins. And he loved it. And he sent it over to Rick Springfield. Right. And Rick then emails me and said, I absolutely love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And then two or three days later, he sent me another email saying, I hope you won't be mad, but I'm continuing the tradition. And he had a song that he'd written, and he'd put makeup on and done it as well, like Day of the Dead, Mm. and sent it to me. And I loved it. But then he was a bit worried, he sent me another email and said, listen, if you don't like it, I'll take it down. And I said, no, no, it's great. It's great. It's fantastic. And that, and that, was, t- that was Godforsaken World. <clears throat> that was Godforsaken World, yes. Hmm. And another two days go by, and then he contacts me again and said, no one's ever done an album like this. He's, no one in America has ever done an album with Day of the Dead, like a rock and roll type of album. He said, would you be interested in doing an album with me? And I said, yeah, it'd be great, you know. And he said to me, you, you direct it because you, you were the one that came up with the idea. So away we went. And it was one of those, it was almost like automatic writing. Yeah. I would write a song, send it straight to Rick. He'd send me another one back almost immediately. And they were coming so quickly and so easily. And uh, my point of view, I wrote them from the point of view of the dead. So if you listen to the lyrics to most of my songs, uh, they, they're, they're grateful songs. They're saying, thank you for bringing me back. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to be amongst the people I love. They're, they're the mainly, <clears throat> that's mainly what I'm writing about. Mm. Um, Rick came from another angle. Mm. And lovely, he used Spanish, which was fantastic. Right, and he he sung in Spanish on a couple of the songs, and uh, we shared two songs. We, I, uh, he sang second half of one song, and I sang the second half of one song, which which was interesting because some some people can't pick the change in voice. Yeah, I was actually listening to it, trying to work out whether that had happened in any of the songs. So apart from two, the rest of the songs were kind of either Rick's or either yours completely, or with instrumentals mixed from both. No. <clears throat> Completely. Mick, uh, Rick played uh, the Spanish guitar on one of my songs, Tonight Will Be Kings. Mm-hmm. So, I, great song. Loved it. I did my stuff here uh, on my little computer with a, a crappy little microphone. Yeah. And uh, I got one of my friends in Melbourne to add some uh, smaller guitar parts and then when I was about to send it to Rick, uh, Jackie Barnes, who was Jim, Jimmy Barnes' son, heard it. And he said, wow, I just love this. He said, what are you doing about the drums? And I said, what do you mean? 
I said, they're there. And he said, no. He said, that's a drum machine. I said, yeah. He said, you know, no, no, please. <laughs> he said, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it for free. And I said, no, I can't. And he said, I'll do it. Please let me. So I sent the tracks up to Jackie on the north coast, up in uh, central Sunshine Coast. And he put all the drums down, which was, was lovely of him. I, I ended up paying him a fee, but it was, wasn't was a huge fee. It was just lovely. And then I sent them to Rick, and Rick mixed them in, in America with, with Matthew, his engineer. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's that's something that I was really interested to learn about. And I believe that, because I saw a, there's a YouTube video that uh, Bruce shared with me where you and Rick are talking about the process and you're talking about basically what we're talking about. I was interested that that uh, this is not the first time that either of you have worked remotely on projects. So I think Rick made the comment, because everyone's got a home studio now, even if it's just based in a laptop, that, that means that the, the days of actually bands needing to go to a studio to record together are kind of long distant. And he talks about how he's, you know, he's just layered up music over time and, uh, you know, himself and then, uh, you know, sent it off to different, different people to, to put the layers together into the finished song. So in other words, this was all happening before the pandemic. It wasn't forced by the pandemic. People were working remotely to make music for, for quite some time. That's correct. Yeah, I was doing. I've I've been doing it for a while. But I, strangely enough, the very first song, as I mentioned before, Karma Leaders Dance. I wasn't looking to have anyone do anything with that. So I put a click track down. And if you're in the studio, you tend to try and play to the click track. Right. Sometime while I was playing along, and I was playing, what I'll do is I'll put a click track down, and then I'll play acoustic guitar and sing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes your voice and your guitar get a little bit, little bit too loud for the click track, and you can't, you can't hear it. So you, you drift out of time. Right. If you, if you don't care. So and I didn't care. It was just a song I wanted to put down. So I drifted out of time, <laughs> and it didn't matter. And when I put all the stuff down, it, it sort of seemed to work in a clunky sort of way. Mm. Then when Jackie tried to put the drums down. They tried to work with a click track and realised that halfway through it went out of time with the click track. Right. So they, he did it as best as he could, but it was still out of time. So when I, when I sent it to, to Rick, I said, listen, there are a number of beats that aren't in time. Can you adjust them? They tried to adjust and they sent them back. And I said, no, it's still not working for me. So Rick said, listen, I know a guy over here, they called him the doctor. Mm-hmm. I'll send it to him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he can adjust everything accordingly. Right. So we got a guy to adjust it accordingly, which some, sometimes you have to do that, especially if you're, you're hopeless. Like, and just don't listen to the clip. But after that one, I made sure I stayed well in time with all the other stuff for all the inju- adjustments. But they're the things that can go wrong. Yep. But it is, it is wonderful because you send all the basic tracks you don't send like a song, you send all the basic tracks. So if you've got the drums on eight tracks, like Jackie did, he recorded the drums on different tracks, they all go over. So they can use what they want, they can embellish it, uh, they can pull sections down, pull the snare down or push it up or put an effect on it. All my guitars I send over, um, usually I put effects on my guitars because that's how I want it to sound. Mm-hmm. But my voice I would send over with 
nothing on it, no echoes or no EQ, so they can EQ it and do it their own way. Right. It, it's a it's a nice way to work, but I, I still do love working with the band because with the band, when you're coming into the chorus, <clears throat> bands will naturally feel it coming and they will play differently and they'll build it up a little bit more. Right, yep. And uh, as a player, I'm not adept enough to be at home and do that with everything. I can... I can do it with a drum fill and maybe a, a guitar line, but you, you get the whole band changing their pattern just as they go into a chorus, and it gives it a, a better better ladder into the chorus. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and this has been going on for a while, but the fact that you can wind up with such a polished result and something which doesn't sound like it's been made in different parts of the world and pieced together and had sort of all this technical stuff applied to it if required as as has happened with this album do you send it over as just what as a wav file how do you how do you actually you dropbox it over there how do you get it over there well i made bruce do it because uh bruce destroyed my first computer that i recorded the whole lot on he insisted that i use we transfer right yeah yeah. i had we transfer transferring all these tracks and i rang him up and i said bruce this is this is taking it's taken two hours already, and it's saying it's going to take another five hours. He said, oh, no, it should take 15 minutes. <clears throat> I said, it's taking so long, and it, di- it took forever to download, mm. and it finally got down. After that, my computer was cactus. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't even get into my emails. I couldn't do anything. So I virtually had to sell my computer and get another computer because it was... It just ruined it. So I send always by Dropbox. Yeah. But it was time for an upgrade from that 1990 Commodore computer that you had, (laughs) Russell. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) But it was working fine. Like like, like if you buy an old Vauxhall and it's running around or an Austin A30, it runs runs really well unless someone says, oh, let's put a computer on the motor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Someone like you, Bruce. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Uh, no, look, I think this is great. We're talking with Russell Morris about a new album that he's collaborated with Rick Springfield to produce, and it's available. And, well, well, not the, yet. The first track is available, yes. uh, which is called I'm Jack Chrome. This is a, a great joint project, and I was particularly interested in, in the way that you collaborate over long distance because Rick's in, in uh, California and Russell's in Queensland. Lucky Russell, because we're all locked down and um, you know, living in a police state in Victoria at the moment as you might have heard. Are you really? (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not. It's just a myth. I wouldn't be too optimistic. I just read this morning on the news that this is is, is getting worse. Is it the end of the world? Who knows? Mm. I I believe in uh, the second law of thermodynamics. Mm. Everything is unravelling. There's been a new strain discovered in South South Africa, and they believe it could be more virulent and more contagious than anything else is that is that lambda is that what's called no it's another one. Oh, different one okay gosh c12 or something oh god called. great fantastic that's just yeah. what we need it's interesting that you you're making an album which has got this link to the day of the dead and and i actually rang up a friend i was saying to bruce just before we called you i rang up a friend who's originally from mexico and just asked her about the background to the celebration and she made a couple of interesting comments about it she said you know it's definitely not morbid um, no. And in Western culture, we have a little bit of a um, a taboo about death, and and uh, we're not sort of as happy to talk about it or focus on it as in some cultures. Whereas the Day of the Dead in in Mexico, I believe, is a th- is thousands of years old, so it predates the uh, European 
settlement of or colonization of uh, Central America and Latin America. And, and in fact, they, the Spanish uh, tried to replace the Day of the Dead with All Saints Day. And, That's right. And, and it's actually, I think it's one day before on the calendar, and it's nowhere near as big, even, even after their best efforts, it's not a patch on the Day of the Dead. So the, the Day of the Dead's been practiced for thousands of years. One thing she made, comment she made, which was, I thought was interesting, is that at a, at a funeral in Mexico, you don't have eulogies. So you don't have, uh, you have a funeral and you have some kind of ceremony, but you don't have uh, people getting up and talking in detail about the life of the person who's died, which you do in Australia and in America and in Western countries. She said what they do with the Day of the Dead is that people kind of, it's like writing a eulogy about someone while they're alive. And, and the benefit of that is that you, you know, you're saying something important about someone, why you love them, why you respect them, their, the mark they've made on the world while they're alive, which kind of makes sense because then they can actually appreciate those comments more. Yeah, I, um, it, is a, it's a, it is a wonderful festival. Um, a, a lot of, I'm not sure how, how people out here will receive it because we're not familiar with it. We're, we're familiar with more of a ghoulish festival, which is Halloween. Mm, mm. And that's very ghoulish, really. Yep. It's about ghosts and witches and all that sort of thing. Day of the Dead is, is a wonderful festival. And uh, I remember when I first, Rick and I were first doing the album, I said to some close friends, I'm doing uh, an album on Day of the Dead. And these people were pretty well read. And they said, oh, wow, what's it about zombies? <laughs> or, or like the, the, you know, like the the night of the living dead. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> I said, Haven't you heard of Day of the Dead? And they say, No. What is it? And so it's a lot of people out here don't know. However, I have since discovered that a lot of kids from sixteen down mm. know a hell of a lot about it. Like one of my friends came around the other day, a photographer, and I, I told him about the album, and he said, Oh, he said uh, Taylor loves it. She's got a little doll with a Day of the Dead face and things, and all her girlfriends have got things, and they love it. Mm. It's a colourful, amazing spectacle. The makeup that you guys are wearing—it's it's in the um, you know—it's on your CD inside the little booklet. There's pictures of you guys with the white makeup and the black around your eyes and the sort of um, the the neck painted to look like a skull. It's it's kind of scary, but it's. I don't know, it's, it's also kind of impressive as well. It just shows that difference in cultural approach. For them, it's, it's, not, a, it's, not, a, um, it's not macabre um, and it's not morbid. Um, it's, a cel- it's all about celebrating your ancestors and then even uh, celebrating people's lives, people, loved ones, while they're alive. So I believe they have little, you can buy little chocolate skulls uh, everywhere in Mexico and you can have the name of someone who, you, you know, a loved one or a family member written on the skull and, and they all give each other these little skulls as presents as part of the festival. I think it's, I think it's lovely. It's great. I, I would go down to East LA sometimes and <clears throat> see the festivals and, it was always fantastic. I just, uh, I just loved it. I, I love Mexican, Mexican culture. Always have had. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I love their art and all that sort of stuff. Speaking of art, the front cover uh, there appears. Mm. Uh, Carmelita there is holding the the heart in her hands, and it's an incredibly colourful piece of art, which was done by a local artist here, uh, based in Rye. Mm, right. Yeah. Fantastic. Bruce, Bruce, that's not Carmelita. Ah, well. Carmelita's alive. Ah, uh, yes, sorry. Yeah. Carmelita's <laughs> alive. She's a human. Gotcha. But she has a connection to, yeah. Yeah. 
It's yeah. There's clearly there's you know there's a whole visual thing which is yeah. really iconographic. You know, it's it's you kind of recognise Day of the Dead yeah, well, outfits. As Bruce said, the painting is is lovely. It's mm. just great. It's uh, you can it's almost you can it's strange. You can almost feel the love coming from the skeleton because <laughs> she's clutching her heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really nice. And there's all the surrounding colours. It's a very it's it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the sort of connection of this? and the pandemic because it does come up obviously in, in uh, Rick's track Godforsaken World and he's even at one point wearing the beak head mask which was going back to the, the Black Death I think it's what people used to wear uh, you know people who were selling I don't know whatever snake charm or, or some kind of uh, uh, of, of uh, way of protecting you from, from plague and pestilence but what is there a connection or is this just that's coincidental? Well, you have to ask Rick. Rick, what comes out of Rick's head doesn't come out of mine. So uh, yeah. my songs, as I said, the ones that I've written are mainly positive. Mm. Rick Rick comes from a, a... It's like yin and yang, Rick and I. Mm. Rick comes from a different angle. So yeah. he... I don't know where he's, what he was thinking when he was writing the songs and... Uh, it'd be rude of me to say, oh, this is what he was thinking. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I get that. I know what I was thinking when I was writing. And we were talking... We didn't discuss what we were each writing. Mm. I just said, "This is how I'm going to approach it." He just he he came up with his his own style because, as as writers, we're vastly different in our styles. Yep. When were you living in in America? How long ago was that? Uh, I lived there from 1974 to 1978. What, what, what a brilliant time to be there! It was. It was a great time. Yeah, really, really interesting. I guess what I was getting at about you know why you started this project and and it's and it's sort of focused on the Day of the Dead and you started off with the the first track and then went from there cut Carmelita's dance and and developed the concept from there. Were you thinking at the time when you developed that of conne- connections because this was done during I think what mainly last year's lockdowns or the the pandemic of twenty twenty as opposed to twenty one. Probably yes. Um... When did we record it, Bruce? Oh, know? from from around September. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and were you influenced by the pandemic? I'm just. I mean, I'm just interested to explore any connection you had with with no, the pandemic. No, not at all. Okay. Um, I'm in Queensland, so there wasn't. <laughs> I, I spoke to my friends in Melbourne and my and my kids, and I could see the the, the misery that everyone was going through. Mm. But no, I, I I don't think I was influenced by it. However, I know this is easy to say after the fact, but uh, in 2019, I mentioned it to a couple of my friends, one who actually worked on your station and my wife Mm. and another friend. I said, I've had a horrible premonition. Mm. And they said, what? And I said, I'm going to die in 2020. And they said, don't be ridiculous. I said, I've had this premonition that something really bad is going to happen and i think it's i think it's a premonition of me that's my that's my time on earth you know and i don't know whether it was just came out of the blue and it was nothing as you know coincidence or coincidences but that was when the pandemic hit it was almost like i'd had this and maybe it maybe in my head i thought this is my death or something and i maybe it influenced me to write that way i'm not sure I have no idea. With with writing, as I said before, and I, I know you love 
love science, there's no such thing as a vacuum. Things pop in and out of existence all the time. Mm. Um, virtual particles and things like that. And it's almost like that happens to us sometimes. I think as a writer, things just pop into your head. You just don't know where they came from. And you end up writing a song and you think, what made me write that? Where where did that come from? Mm. So a lot of songs you write, it's laborious. You sit down and say, I'm going to write a song about Jack the Dog. So you write a song about Jack the Dog and away you go and it's it's a thing. But sometimes something will come out that you have no control over and it just, the song writes itself. <clears throat> Wings of an Eagle was like that. When I wrote Wings of an Eagle, it, just, it was almost like automatic writing. And all these songs on this, album were almost like automatic writing isn't it isn't it interesting and i i've, I've kind of experienced <laughs> something similar where when you're working on something collaboratively and it's creative and you know the people involved and you kind of you 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 get to a point where you really are on the same level and that's when this it's it and it can obviously it can happen over long distance it doesn't require you to actually be physically near each other but you get this this development and and you and things just flow. You know the the the, the whole thing accelerates, and I, I thought it was amazing to hear how quickly this was produced. You know, once once you and Rick got, uh, you know, got sort of into each other's ideas and started sort of embracing it and getting inspired by it, the whole thing you know really gathered steam and and um, and kind of wrote itself. Yeah, it was. It was it was good because uh, it was almost like that old Beatles adage. I remember reading about the Beatles and. <clears throat> Paul McCartney <clears throat> would call a meeting and they'd all go in and he'd play a song to everyone and much to the annoyance of John Lennon who would go home and then frantically write two songs and then call another meeting three weeks later and go in and play his two songs. It was like, all right, you showed me an ace of hearts, I'll show you uh, two aces of hearts, you know, yeah. that, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, a bit of kind of uh, friendly competition, <clears throat> friendly rivalry. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's great. I am really impressed that this sort of thing can be done so easily. And I guess that, you know, like technology has got better. You know, I, I had to work out how to do podcasting and, and record stuff at home last year. And I, I was working with an, a 10-year-old computer, which I eventually had to upgrade and get myself a laptop and get myself a microphone. But compared with you know, even five years ago, but certainly 10 or 15 years ago, just the accessibility and, and what you can get that, that does a really good job has improved so much. You know, microphone technologies has improved a lot and, and they've become cheaper. So instead of having to have this big, expensive studio setup, you can do a pretty good job at home with, with much cheaper and more accessible stuff. And the software, a lot of it's free now. It depends what you're using. What do you use to make your music on your computer? What do you do to layer stuff up? I, I used uh, Logic yep. Pro. I had to do all the vocals on a very small, reasonably priced uh, Line 6 microphone and interface, which you plug guitars in as well. <coughs> Sorry, I don't know why I'm coughing. Um, so that was all done on that. It's like very quite primitive stuff for recording. You know, you really should use probably better mics to get better sounds. But I think I got around it because I was trying to sing differently. I was trying to sing. I like to try and be an actor, and I'm playing a part. And so I decided to make sure that I sung everything quite low. Mm. I was playing that part, um, sort of Leonard Cohenish, I guess. Yeah. I couldn't couldn't sing loud. 
because I turned the mic up really quite to get enough presence out of it. This particular mic, you suffer if you turn it down and sing loud mm-hmm. because it's digital and it will really sort of squash the vocal and make it sound very thin. Mm-hmm. So I turned it up as loud as I possibly could and then had to be extremely careful not to do any pops Yep. because if you pop it, it just completely goes off the Richter scale. Yep. So I'd have to sing across the mic and as quietly as I possibly could to get away with it. It seems that it's given it a really unusual vocal texture. I think it's a really great album and uh, I, I wish you very well with it. I particularly liked the opening track, which is the only one. So I can play this one on air, I believe. You I can, can play indeed, yeah. I Am Jack yeah. Chrome. The others to follow. I have to say, I really liked Godforsaken World. I also like Carmelita's Dance. And there was one other one that stuck in my mind. Death Drives a Cadillac was good. There's some great music in there. So, so thanks so much for talking, Russell Morris. And can I just say that the album is re- officially released on... October the 15th, but mm-hmm. available for pre-sale now. Mm-hmm. So if you go to any of the, the major uh, retailers, JB, Hi-Fi, Sanity, etc., you can order the CD or vinyl, or you can pre-order the album digitally on iTunes. And of course, it will be available on Spotify. But uh, the best way to hear music, I think, still vinyl peers. Yep, indeed. And Russell doesn't have a turntable, neither does Rick. What's that about? <laughs> <coughs> no, we don't. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I I, I do like turn, I turntables, but um, no, I've, I'm stuck in the digital world at the moment. Turntables are beautiful, and they, they do have it. You've got to spend a bit of money, though. You've got to get a, a really good one to get it to sound awesome with great speakers. Mm. Yeah, well, apparently CD, uh, we were talking this just before we started this conversation, uh, Bruce and I, and and uh, the, the, the vinyl sales are now exceeding CD sales. Uh, and obviously CD sales are going down because a lot of people are listening to streaming services. And I just wanted to ask you, Russell, are you an artist who is annoyed by streaming music services like Spotify, like Apple Music, Google Music, uh, all those different services. Do you think that that's kind of robbing, robbing artists and making it harder to be a, a musician, a, a professional musician? What, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, they do. And they've refused to come to the negotiating table. I'll give you a great example, which really, really made me feel sick. Um, Mark Holden, mm. who wrote uh, Absolutely Everybody for Vanessa Amorossi. Mm-hmm. I think it was number one in six countries in Europe. He um, had six million plays or something, and he got his first check, $148. Wow. <clears throat> That's like someone writing Tolstoy. I'm not, I'm not putting us songwriters in the, in the bag of the Tolstoy, but it's just, just an example. Or, or Don Levy writes a book mm. and puts it out, and instead of people buying it, they send it, send it everywhere digitally and uh, he gets paid a pittance for it or mm. people like Jeffrey Archer and all that wouldn't be able to survive on those. No, that's right. If it was like that. So that's right. Songwriters, I imagine it is very, very, very bad for people who are purely songwriters. I mm. couldn't imagine someone like Jimmy Webb being able to survive in today's. He would have to be very lucky to get his songs to the right artist because so many artists now, oh, I want to write my own songs. I want to write. So those openings for songwriters are not there anymore. And I know a number of songwriters who are doing other jobs because they just can't 
get any traction on their songs because everyone wants to be a songwriter and because the managers are saying to the artists, oh, no, no, write the songs. There's more money in them if you write them and do them yourself. Mm. And so that's what's happening. So I, I just couldn't see a lot of songwriters existing in in this uh, current situation, climate. For performers as well, if would be interested to know what Vanessa Amorossi got out of that, those six million downloads or, or listens. Um, yeah, you probably know, minim- marginally a little bit better. Yeah, not much. yeah, yeah. So clearly, you know, even with massive, massive numbers, you've got to do something else. You, you've got to either be able to tour, which you can't at the moment because of the pandemic. Otherwise, I don't know, you've got to, you've got to have music videos or some other string to your bow well the sad part about it is is um where the money is too is uh commercial advertising when they pick your song up and they put it on a a ford commercial or a um television uh selling a new television or selling a bank or selling an airline that's where the gigantic money is Mm. and then those songs even if they're really good songs they kind of get they just change, you know, because they're associated with a with a commercial brand, and so they, right. they kind of change. They they, they, uh, right. they lose something yeah. in that process. It is difficult, and it's a difficult age for music. We really appreciate you talking with us, Russell Morris. Great new CD that's been released, Jack Chrome and the Darkness Waltz with Rick Springfield. It's going to be out soon, as you heard in October. But I will be playing uh, "I Am Jack Chrome," which is the first track today very shortly in fact thanks Ben no worries thanks Bruce thank you very much Russell thanks Russell Beyond the